0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter.
1: We have a guest in studio in hour one of our program, and this is going to be a busy show, too. Um, You're going to learn a good deal of information in uh, this first hour of the show because this takes us into an area of discussion where – we have not gone often on this program. Uh, in studio with us is Luke Rosen. Luke is a um, founder of an interesting organization. He is also the head of patient engagement at Ovid Therapeutics, and he has quite an interesting story to um, share with us, or stories to share with us in the course of our discussion First of all, Luke, it's nice to have you join us on our program. Welcome to WFAN. Thanks,
2: Bob. It's great to be here. I really appreciate you having me on.
1: We're going to be talking about rare diseases in uh, this hour of our program, and we'll get into specifically talking about um, a rare disease that your daughter uh, has. But when I say that term, rare diseases, and we were talking about this before we came into the studio today, most people probably don't have a clue as to what rare diseases are. Um, what's the real definition of that term, first of all? And then secondly, in the real world, how common are they?
2: Yeah, that's a, a great question. So a rare disease in the U.S. is uh, defined as a disease that affects fewer than 200,000 people. Um, and so, we know of about seven thousand different rare diseases. And so, you know, if a rare disease affects um, one in ten of our population. And and, but the real, you know, the, the, there's there's possibly many more people affected by a disease that is rare. Um, and so. When you add them all together, it's you know rare is not really rare. There's there's mm. a whole community of people that are affected by
1: um, that have similar challenges. So, yeah. So if this is the case, why don't we hear more about them? I, that's you know that's such
2: a great you know part of our job is is raising awareness and talking and shouting from the mountaintops about these children and, and about you know one in two. Uh, people affected by rare diseases are our children and and uh, by raising awareness and 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 talking about things like you know the everyday routine that families affected have that's how we um you know we get people to to think about zebras and not um
1: not horses okay and we're going to yeah. this is special significance yeah, yeah. to uh, that statement that you're going to share with us sure. as we talk, to um let's talk about the situation that has affected your family. Um, take us through how it is that your daughter came to be diagnosed with this disease.
2: So, my daughter Susanna, she's she's four now; she'll be five
1: five uh, coming
2: up. And uh, when's her when's her birthday? May, May, May. So early, happy birthday! To Thank her. you okay. very much, May seventh. Um, so, Susanna, uh, you know, pr- from from the time she was born, she had um, she had certain challenges and. And, uh, you know, a little bit of a movement disorder, and she wasn't hitting her milestones. And uh, we thought, you know, she she was our second kid, so often with your second kid, you're a little bit more patient if there's a a health crisis or a health problem that pops up. So, you know, we just thought that Susanna was on her own timeline. And then slowly, you know, we kind of noticed that things were getting a little bit more tricky. So we, um, you know, doctors were stumped for, you know, for two years. And then finally, we did... You know, we got this diagnosis that uh, we were told she has this very, very rare um, non-inherited genetic disorder um, that, you know, at the time we were told that she was, you know, maybe number 15 or 20 in the world that had been identified with this disease. So uh, she was two when we found that out.
1: Mm. How many or how long a period of time was it that was involved in, I guess, trying to get to the point where you got that diagnosis?
2: You know, pretty much right away. It's when you first have that, uh, that get that, any kind of instinct, that parental instinct where something's a little off Mm -hmm. and you go to your doctor and then you go to other doctors, you know, it becomes a mission right away to, to get that answer and to have that exhale, thinking, okay, well, at least we, at least we got to the root of the problem and we know how to address it. And that's the problem with with these rare diseases is that too often the stories don't get told and too often, you know, you you don't have a problem to address. So it it was right away that that my wife and I knew something was wrong and that we, uh, we, we knew we had to go after that diagnosis. And the diagnosis, what exactly were you told? So we were told that Susanna has a mutation in her KIF1A gene. Um so that was completely foreign when to to us when we heard that.
1: You didn't know what the KIF1A no. gene uh, was? We did not. Okay.
2: We did not know that. And you know you you had and this is this is changing thank goodness now is that um you know access to the proper diagnostic testing is becoming more and more available to people but you know even just 2 years ago it took you know in our case several months to to go from getting that test to getting that diagnosis. So when it comes back, uh, you know, and, and you hear that you have this, uh, you're dealing with this genetic mutation that doesn't, a disease that doesn't even have a name. And, you know, the, the physicians who, who, uh, tell you those test results give you a, you know, synopsis of the two available papers in the world that describe it. So no, yeah, it was, it was completely foreign to us. Two available papers in the world. Well, there were—I'm sorry, there were six, but there were six available papers in the world that we knew of. But but you know, wow.
1: you get—we you know, we were given two. Wow. So, yeah. okay, so you're given this information. Um, many people might just be completely overwhelmed getting that information. You chose to move in a. For lack of a better term, I'm going to use here proactive fashion. Why and what did you do? Well, first,
2: first of all, we were totally overwhelmed when we got but yeah, no, it's very true. You get, you know, there is a, a there are a couple of moments, at least in my life, that I've I've recognized. You know, you can go one of two ways, and we were very lucky to have the the support and the encouragement to um you know, when you hear that there's no treatment or no cure mm-hmm. and we thought well how, how can that be and and then you realize well, what do we have to do next and i remember saying that to our dog i said well what do we well how do we fix that what do we do next and you know the answer is well you got to find 100 kids you got to find you got to find a way to build a community so the scientific community and the, and, the, and the medical community can get a picture of the disease and see what what, what was going on so um my wife and i uh started a foundation and we started a foundation and you know the goal of starting that foundation was to you know to find more people connect more people and of course to uh, you know raise funds and support for to uh, jump start some research
1: okay now in your background you're not someone coming into this with a scientific background medical background what had you done before this so, uh, you
2: know, up until, um, just after Susanna's diagnosis, you know, I, I was, I was an actor and a writer and, um, yeah, that, that all changed, but I, I was an
1: actor and a writer. Yeah. Okay. So you start taking this, the bull by the horns here, um, starting a foundation. What was that like? Well, it was a lot different than working on a TV
2: show, but um, yeah, it it was you know it was completely uh, completely foreign to us, and and I think that was a good thing because we kind of any any playbook about how to go about starting a foundation, um, we there's such an urgency behind um, trying to accomplish these goals that we were trying to accomplish. So we didn't have you know I'd say time was as much our enemy as nature. So we, we had to kind of move fast. So we threw out any kind of playbook and, you know, it, it was pretty remarkable. My wife, um, I mean, she's really our anchor in so many ways, but she, you know, we, we, uh, we set out, we started a website and we primarily just started that website to, to get disease education and, the available literature in one place because that was hard to find and Mm -hmm. when you have a disease with no name that's just you know a couple of letters when your family or when friends ask you what's um what's going on with your kid and it's 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 a you know 30 minute bumbling explanation that Mm -hmm. I often start crying at Mm and minute number five and I'm incoherent so (laughs) you know I've gotten a little bit better at uh, explaining the science, but we wanted to put all of the the available education up on one one website. Then, um, you know, I mentioned this before, is that um, people slowly started getting uh, diagnosed a little bit more with this, and they would reach out and contact us. And, and one dad, I'll never forget this conversation, um, called me and said, you know, I, I saw your website. My son was just diagnosed with this disease. We don't know anything about it. And I said, well, did you read the you know, did you read the papers that are out there, the the literature? And he said, no, you know, I, I couldn't afford the $35 it costs to um, get, you know, access to the paper. I thought, my God, everybody has the right and the, you know, not just the, the duty, but the right to learn about their disease and their child's disease. And as soon as we understood that that was one of the missing links, that became our mission is to, Make sure people were educated as much as possible about what was going on. And that was the impetus to really um, move forward with uh, that element of our foundation. And when we started connecting more people, it was remarkable.
1: All right. We're going to talk an awful lot more. We take a pause in our discussion with Luke Rosen, he is founder of KIF1A. Head of patient engagement at Ovid therapeutics. We're talking about rare diseases this first hour of our program on the fan. Radio.com. Radio,
0: radio. 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 Radio.com.
1: And good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We're in a discussion with Luke Rosen on our program On the Fan. Luke is founder of KIF1. A.org, head of patient engagement at Ovid Therapeutics. We're talking with him about the topic of rare diseases. And by the way, in the course of this hour, you want to join us in conversation. If you're on point with what we're talking about, you certainly can. 877-337-6666 is our number here at the fan. Um, A lot of different things going through my mind, but let's go back to what you were talking about before we paused for our update and messages this idea of the experience with um, with your daughter starting the foundation, so what is a typical day like in your household it's a typical day in my house is
2: is um you know there's no such thing as a typical <laughs> day. <laughs> uh, you know it's every morning is different and every day is different um and it's not just because of the the physical and health challenges that my daughter Susanna faces and how that affects everybody it's it's just a uh, um you know the new normal. You, you, you when you when you find out this new normal, it's um, it's a big learning curve. Um, so typically, you know, I'm up at 4:30. Um, I'm doing a uh, foundation work, and I also am in the middle of studying in a, a bioethics program, and it's primarily on online. So mm-hmm. I, it's my you know f- between 4:30 and six is my t- my time really, and then the kids wake up um, in various states of chaos and and that's really when the day starts we you know we getting just getting out of the house is is difficult sometimes you know and um when we finally do then then um my son uh drop one of us drops him off at school and sometimes he will join us in dropping Susanna off where we um have physical therapy for the first hour before we um before we leave her and then i I head to work, and my wife heads to work, and then, you know, just like every other parent, we have pickup in the afternoon, and and then hopefully home for dinner at night. We're all together, so it's. But then again, you know, you get thrown a curveball where you know she might have a, a seizure, or she might have a fall, or something, and 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 all of a sudden the day changes. You're in the emergency room,
1: and and uh, everything everything is 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 different. So, in terms of seizures, how often? How many in the course of a course of a day can she have? Well, uh, you know that's one of the things about
2: at least specifically to Susanna's disease is that you don't quite know if she'll sometimes be having these um, these events, uh, and you're not sure what it is if it's the you know just the, 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 if it's somehow the course of the disease if it's a, if it's a seizure. Um, but she has these moments that we now know are, are likely seizures anywhere between. You know, between five and a hundred times a day, you just can't quite tell. Um, and a lot of it happens at night, so um, you know, one of usually my wife, one of one of us ends up sleeping with Suzanne
1: to make sure everything's okay. That's got to be, uh, you know, as a parent, that has to be awfully scary. I mean, how do you? I I assume over time, you kind of get used to it. It sort of adapt to the fact that this is taking place
2: no you know i i guess you would think so but no you i'm at least in in our two-year experience we we never get used to it i mean mm. you never you're never prepared for what happens because you're i think this is true for every parent um you're never prepared for being in a moment where you're um helpless and don't know what to do with your with your kid and so we're constantly in fear that um we're gonna have one of those moments
1: Hmm. So the toll on you and your wife as parents, how do you deal with that?
2: That's such a hard question to, to answer because I don't th- quite think that, you know, rare disease parents, at least I can speak for ourselves, have, have the luxury of, of being able to have that. Private and one-on-one connection as regularly as as we might otherwise. Um, you know, we also have a son who's an extraordinary kid. Um, he's seven, right? He's seven, right. going on forty. <laughs> you told me that before. <laughs> he's, yeah, I did. It's true. He's got a lot to deal with. He, he's great. He's a great kid. And so, you know, he, but having that attention is is
1: yes yeah, is, is, is our primary focus. And how has adapted remarkably
2: and i think that's because well i know that's because he's in a situation where what would be um you know weird or um uh troubling for uh for uh, you know other kids uh his age that aren't going through this is is commonplace for him so he's much he's a much more tolerant person certainly than i was when i you know I was his age but he's um he's really just a remarkable kid. Uh, he um he looks at people with um indifference and a non-judgment that uh, is a result of of living with a sister who has this rare disease.
1: Mm. And some people will wonder so let me ask the question because again it's a natural one and we're having a discussion in which we're trying to learn some Um, information about what it is that this is like for you as a family. You know, you talk about the uh, sense of dealing with this situation on a a daily basis. Also, in the real world, we have to ask, if you don't mind, um, how do you deal with the financial burden of it? You know, that is...
2: That's a big. It's a big burden. I think for all rare disease families, but you know, we I can speak for, for my family is that, just like every element of disease, it's different, every day. I mean, there could be, you know, on any given day we have something between, you know, ten and even sometimes a hundred thousand dollar, hospital bill or collecting on our on our desk that we know will you know resubmit and hopefully will get, get covered. But it's a it's a big burden. I mean, you have to. We have to our you know we we have this wonderful um apartment, and you know we 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 had to move because it's not accessible and and you know new york old apartments don't have ramps in front mm. mm-hmm. and so every little thing is is um is tricky and challenging, and especially you know you have to you have to get things for your kids that you're constantly fighting for, which is you know services in school, like physical therapy and occupational therapy and, uh, you know, medical equipment. And if, if, if you can't get those through the proper avenues, you know, you just have to, you, you gotta bite the bullet and just buy them. <laughs> and that's, so it is a, is a big financial burden. Um, and yeah, that, and that's one of the things we advocate for too, is because um it's that lack of diagnosis in the beginning. Like it, for for us, it was two years. Some people have, you know, We were lucky for two years. Some people have to go 10 years with, you know, having these unnecessary doctor's appointments and everything that, that add up. How do they do it? I am constantly in, and I meet families affected by rare disease every day. And I'm constantly in awe of the strength of, of our community. I, I, you know, and I mean, I, I've met people who've gone 15, 20 longer years Mm. without, Having an answer and having that diagnosis and that
1: uncertainty is is terrifying.
2: It's just terrifying. So I I don't know how some people do it.
1: All right, I asked you this earlier, and I want you to share this, your response with um, folks who are listening to us today. In establishing the foundation and in your work, how much of what you're Doing and what you want to do is basically providing a support system for parents who are experiencing this. A huge amount of that. I mean that because, you know, by
2: providing a support system and by educating people, um, not just families affected by the rare disease, but, you know, the medical community and the scientific community. And, um, you know, if, if you're educating, connecting every single person involved then you're creating um not just a community but you're creating an awareness of the disease that people don't know about more people will get diagnosed if there's more awareness about that disease and um it'll trickle down to paul you know to, to policymakers and, and people will come together and so that's a huge part of everything because you can't drive that um overall mission to discovering you know, possible treatment without growing a community. So knowing that that's, that's the anchor and the heart of everything is uh, was, a, was a very important realization to make. So we started very early to make that connection and connect with people.
1: I want to talk in a minute about your involvement with Ovid Therapeutics. Let me just mention the fact we're talking with Luke Rosen. He is founder of KIF1A.org and the head of patient engagement at Ovid Therapeutics. You can listen to WFAN anytime, anywhere. Download the radio.com app. I hope you have by now. You can favorite us today. If you have Alexa or Google Home, just say, play WFAN, and you'll be locked in to the fan. This involvement with Ovid Therapeutics, what was it that drove you to them? So when I was learning
2: about this whole process and rare disease and how to... Um, get closer and how to accomplish this mission of possibly finding out a way to develop these uh, treatment you always hear in the rare disease community especially in the in the uh, advocacy group communities you hear you know we um, the next step is to partner with biotech Mm -hmm. uh, right because those are the those are the folks those are that's the team that's going to actually um, you know take the research and development to the next level which is um, getting these potential therapies to, to kids. And, and so I, you know, at, at the time I knew of one rare neurological biotech in New York, and that was Ovid Therapeutics. And so I, I tracked down and I sat down with, uh, the CEO, Jeremy Levin, and then the chief medical officer, Amit Rakit and some other folks. And I I realized that, you know, this is a team that's trying to, um, uh, build a community themselves only build a community that's um, driven by science and the desire to uh, you know an equal well, a desire that's, that's that's necessary to bring these potential therapies to kids and and uh, you know there's this ethos in our coursing through the veins of our company and that's um, you know this idea of do no harm and and, and finding out uh, trying to trying to um Unlock the door to rare neurological disorders and understand disorders of the brain, and then actually act and and uh, do something about it. So when I met that team, I was I was lucky enough to be able to join it. Um, and my role at Ovid is is uh, a science-driven um, uh, responsibility to not just advocate for, but educate and can keep connecting uh with a, the rare disease community so it was a kind of a natural transition and and to learn about that process
1: you don't use the term cure and i said this to you before we started uh, the program but you use the term you just did of um, potential therapies mm-hmm. i'm talking why is it important to take that it's approach? important to, to think about that because with 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 these
2: and to say that and articulate that um, because with these, within these diseases, and again, I can, I can certainly speak, you know, specifically to my own situation. um, But within these diseases, there are um, multiple, you know, symptoms or multiple other diseases within this big disease that we don't know about. So it's important to, you know, we think about treating the challenges that are happening within the disease before we can, you know, while we're on the way to uh, uh, discovering something for the entire disease, or to address the the disease as a whole, and and I f- I feel like when there's any hint of um, um, something new, the the word possibility is is a big word to have because um, we're all we're all really on that mission, and 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 you gotta think that everything's possible.
1: We're in a discussion on our program on the fan with uh, Luke Rosen. He is founder of KIF1A.org, head of patient engagement at Ovid Therapeutics, and he's our guest in this hour of our program. We're talking about this topic of rare diseases, and um, he's shared an awful lot with us in talking about this um, rare disease that uh, his daughter, Savannah has, uh, Susanna, is uh, dealing with, uh, uh, too, and... Um, you know, we'll get into talking as well about some of the um, research studies and the like that are um, ongoing and um, possibly ways that people who are listening to us can get involved and be helpful. And that's as we continue on our program on the fan this Sunday morning. I guess that's as close to a positive comment from Minko as I'm going to get a positive treat for me. Hmm. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Bob Solter. We're in discussion with Luke Rosen this first hour of our program, We're talking with him about this topic of rare diseases. He's the founder of KIF1A.org, head of patient engagement at Ovid Therapeutics, and he's uh, talked with us on our program about this uh, topic. I mentioned earlier, you know, um, This idea of rare diseases, Uh, most people, I assume, don't have a clue uh, about this. But I had mentioned the fact that if, you know, you have a question or thought um, in this area, you can join us. 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. I want to talk about some of the studies that are going on uh, right now. But I also want to take time to talk about what it is that – People who are listening to our discussion today who may be touched by some of the things that you're saying, um, some of what you're saying may raise some questions uh, for them because we get a lot of people in a lot of different areas. You know, it could be a parent, a grandparent, aunt, uncle. It could be somebody who works in the medical field um, and some of my colleagues who work in the educational field. Um, people who work in physical therapy um, and the like. What can people who are desirous of being helpful or supportive, what can they do?
2: They can talk about it. And uh, raise awareness. I, I, I think that we've accomplished a great deal if we just get somebody to talk about a rare disease in a conversation, because that's part of the awareness. If if you're able to um, if you're able to encourage dialogue and and create a, a, a an environment where where people can tell their stories, it's, it's so important. So uh, learning about it and reaching out and connecting with the actual community that uh, is affected is. It's just so important. So I would say that if, if, if you're inspired to do anything, it's to seek out um, a family that, uh, or an individual that's affected by these diseases and, and, and talk to them and, and try to understand their challenges. Yeah. I mean, somebody told me in the beginning of all of this that, um, you know, it's all about understanding what matters most to the families and how far they're willing to go to get it and so you know we talk about the idea of what is a meaningful change you hear that a lot you know what's meaning truly meaningful and you know i use this example from my own life and it's that um you know, my daughter Susanna has um a place in the living room that she loves it's this giant bean bag it's very comfortable and it's about 20 feet away from the bathroom mm-hmm. and you know she's she's not uh she's she's not toilet trained. And, and a lot of our kids have that challenge and, uh, with, with rare diseases and, and she has movement disorder. So she can't walk maybe sometimes 10, 15 feet without falling and maybe hurting herself. But I know that if there was some way we could just get that five more feet, maybe she could get to the bathroom. Maybe she'd be potty trained. Maybe we wouldn't be late going out the door every day that causes anxiety, that causes my son to, you know, it's a spiraling effect. So if you can understand what really matters to families, like, f- you know, five steps would be transformative. And so I would say try and understand what really matters to families and, and join the team and figure out a way to, to make an impact.
1: Somebody goes to your um, website. What sort of things can they learn there? you can learn about the disease. You can learn, um, the, you know,
2: the current research that's happening and how to get involved. And, you know, the first thing that when someone reaches out to us, um, and, and tells us that they've just found out about this diagnosis, the first thing we say is welcome. You're not alone. You have a community of people that are here to, to support you, to help and to, um, uh, to, sh- to share stories. And, and, uh, second, uh, you and your physician need to contact um, whatever team is, is, is doing um, the, the relevant research. And that's, um, that's really important for every single... And this is a big part of, of what we do is, is, is every person and family member affected by this has a very specific and very important role and, and to be active in not just your own care, but in the process of furthering uh, the community towards towards a the shared mission of
1: finding a possible treatment the studies that are ongoing now can you describe them for us yeah i mean you know
2: there's there's a process in all of rare disease that seems to be um, uh, uniform is not right but it seems to be consistent and that's and it all starts with connecting and with with um, with creating this community um you have things like a natural history study it's called and what that is is everybody again playing an active role and speaking with the researchers and the physicians and talking about their challenges. And so that's a big part of at least for, for Kif1A right now, is is being part of that study. Because you can't you can't um drive towards a possible treatment without having that first study. So Understanding the disease before you move to the next step is, is paramount, and yeah, so that's that's one study, and then um, a, a big part of things is educating people about the process, how you would do things like uh, you know enrolling in, in, in or becoming part of uh, part of that research is important. So yeah, um, I don't know if that answers the
1: question. It does, yeah. um, and when we talk about exactly where this. Research is taking place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the research for KIF1A is happening
2: at Columbia University with this incredible, incredible team um, uh, of, of of researchers who are just so supportive and and you know they're part of the community. That's the thing that's remarkable is that um, with rare disease, every single different piece of the puzzle. Um, when I say community, I don't just talk about. I, I don't just mean the families, right? The researchers, the physicians are all part of this community that are, that care so um, relentlessly about the kids.
1: Now, I'd to ask you about um, a couple of other um, items too. Um, one, I believe, is it pronounced Angelman's? Angelman syndrome. Angelman syndrome. S- yeah. syndrome. And, um, 935, um, can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah, I sure can. So at, at Ovid, we work with, um, multiple rare disease communities. Um, but we work with the Angelman syndrome community and the, the, the rare epilepsy community too. And, and those are, um, two of the, you know, ongoing, ongoing, uh, studies and also just the, 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 you know, f- for my role at Ovid is really engaging with those communities. So, um yeah those are two of the rare disease communities that I work very closely with and just have I'm in constant amazement about the strength of those those families.
1: And what's the timeline of those studies?
2: You know uh, it's it's it varies from um, from community to community. So uh, you know it's you can every single member of our team are is working um, you know diligently to get yeah you know, to 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 get to where we need to go as as fast as possible.
1: Mm. And when we're talking about um, this approach with uh, research, with studies, um, sometimes people will hear um, you know the terms genetic testing, okay, and an immediate image f- forms in their mind. What should we really know about or think about when we hear that?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, that's a huge, huge and important um, element of getting that diagnosis that's so important to, uh, to to families and to understanding the disease is genetic testing. And and it starts, you know, it starts with the family and then in the clinic and, and trickles all the way down to policy about, um, you know, how you get access to that testing mm-hmm. because, you know. Without access to that testing, it's very hard to get that, that you know, a diagnosis. And so, um, you know, what happened, you know, in my experience, just two years ago, it took, you know, several months to get that diagnosis. And and now it's just with with next generation testing, it's getting more and more accessible and faster and faster. And which is which is why these diseases that we think might be um, might. You know you hear that some of these diseases are so rare, they affect just you know a smaller amount of people, but that's not really the case, right? I's that there are without likely thousands of people that are um, uh, affected by these diseases. They just haven't had access to the right testing to understand that and to find that out. So access to genetic testing is just so crucial.
1: And a companion question to that. Because this goes back to something you mentioned earlier in our discussion, uh, paying for that. Okay, what do you do if you're told that you need that t- testing, but your insurance says they not going to cover it? So that's also changing with access. Is the cost of that
2: test? So the cost of the test, the more we know about it and the more um, common it becomes, is is going down. Um, but you know, there's always a way to. Um, to get the tests you need and whether it be a foundation, a nonprofit or, or uh, you know, every single hospital has, uh, has an advocacy and social work element to it. So uh, there's always a way everybody's entitled to understanding what's, what's going on with their health and, and genetic testing is, a, is, a, is an important piece of that puzzle. And, and so there's always a way to get that testing. and There's always a way to do it. You just have to really work and ask the right questions.
1: The advice you would have for someone who's newly diagnosed. What's the most important thing you want them to know?
2: Well, as always, the most important thing is you know talk to your physician because you have to be on the you know you have to be um, as in control as possible about the day to day health challenges. So beyond that beyond that obvious and, and essential part of communicating with your, with your doctor is, is the idea. And I always say, you know, you are not alone. Mm-hmm. That feeling of isolation is, it can be completely overwhelming and can take a toll on anybody and, and just understanding and, and, and communicating that to um, every single rare disease community that you're not alone. There are people um, to share your stories with, and there are people that want to listen and that there's an entire scientific community out there who, once they hear the stories and understand about these diseases, they're, they are likely to, to move forward and to take it into the lab and to take it into the classroom. And, and, and that's how you make progress.
1: When you think of the future,
2: are you optimistic? I am optimistic. Why? I'm optimistic because um, because of just what we've been talking about, that when a community grows stronger and stronger and stronger, you can accomplish far more than you can if there are few people, uh, fewer people. So it's you know several different people coming together to create something far greater than any of us ever could have imagined, but we've you know we we always hope to imagine. So the larger a community gets and and the more often Uh, people within that community tell their stories we uh, are getting closer and closer and closer to uh, uh, unlocking that that mystery of these these rare diseases and and so that's what makes me very very hopeful is that there's a there there are more people joining the team every day and and with that acting with that urgency and that need to collaborate so it's really the people in the community that make everything um, teeming with hope and, and possibility
1: Okay, here's your opportunity. I've mentioned it a couple of different times. Invite invite people listening to us to visit your web your website. Oh, thank
2: you. Yes. So, please, uh, you know, if you want to learn more about KF1A, you can visit www.kif1a.org, and uh, you know, if, if you want to learn about the communities um, at uh, you know that that we build and work with at Ovid Therapeutics, you can visit. Um, ovidovidrx.com, and there are other incredible resources um and you can find all of them on those two websites.
1: And the other thing I should ask you too um through that site can people donate? Absolutely. There's
2: always a uh, you, you certainly can and thanks for asking that. Um people can donate of course um you know while you know of course Donating money and finances is always really, really an important piece of the puzzle. Donating skill sets are a huge piece. So, you know, pick up the phone, give an email. There's always a way to help, and and uh, we're always so thankful for, for that help. Skill sets like what?
1: What are you looking for? What do you need?
2: Uh, skill sets like people who can help educate and build those communities and people who can plan events and people who can help get the words out. But, you know, everybody has that skill set of being able to tell your story. So my one message is reach out and tell your story because it has great impact.
1: K I F one. That's the numeral one. A dot O R G founder of K I F one. 1a.org, Head of Patient Engagement at Ovid Therapeutics, Luke Rosen, our guest this first hour of our program on The Fan. Luke, thank you very much for joining us. Certainly good luck with your work. Thank you so much for having me. This uh, this means the world to me. Wonderful discussion. Hopefully some of the folks listening to us can be supportive of your efforts too. And we've got a lot more to get
0: to on our program this Sunday morning. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news,